Today's podcast is brought to you by drinkers like you. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash have a drink show. Another wine episode. Why are there grapes here then? Typically don't bother with it until it's already fermented, or at all for that matter. We can use this as a learning opportunity and talk about how wine gets made and its process from vine to bottle. So let's keep those grapes, and by the time we're done, it should be wine so you can have a drink. Welcome to Have a Drink, the show where you learn along with us about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. Hello. Hey guys, it's been hey a guys. whole three, four days since we've seen you. <laughs> it seems about right. I was going to say week, but it hasn't been at all. I'm, no. no. <laughs> Just scant few days ago when we were running through the entire lineup of Bourbon County brand stout from this year. <sighs> that was a delicious delicious day that do you know how sad it was for me that evening to dump all that out that's not to say that they were drain pours it's just that they had to go because they both had to drive for hours and we couldn't drink all of it oh like i i left feeling sad that that beer was still like was being poured out committed i knew it was going to go away and i was like that was a war crime Uh, i should (laughs) be brought up on charges cuvee cup that I the wish I cup was. I never got to do the King's Cup. I kind of wanted to. I didn't bother it, it sampling just, the King's Cups. I, I just dumped them all down the drain. It just became Bourbon County again. Oh, <laughs> it's like you you put all this extra stuff in there, and then you just put more Bourbon County, and it just drowns it all out. I am not as well. I'm. You can watch the. Uh, well, you can watch the Twitch stream of it. As well as, at some point, the audio versions will be going up soon. Um, I'm not even going to put a date out there on that one. Uh, <laughs> but I just, uh, spoilers, you know, I, I wasn't a fan of the uh, the base. Yeah, I mean, it's it's understood. The base is okay, but I it's those beers, I think, that, that it needs a little bit extra oomph to make it. Yeah. You know, like Dark Lord is not great. Right out of the right. No, right it's, out of the it's, uh, soy sauce. Yeah, it's not. No, it's not good by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> Fresh. It's pretty terrible. Yeah, but yeah. all right. Uh, so, what has everyone been up to besides New Year's? Besides New Year's, uh, I ended up getting free pizza the other day. Always, always oh, yeah. good. I, I hope someone at work. Uh, and they come back like, how can I help? Like, what can I do to, to repay you for this? Nothing. It's fine. I don't need anything. Ten minutes later, I come back and I just see a whole pizza and brownies from Domino's. And I'm like, well, all right. 
the brownies at Domino's are on point. That's that's mm. the best part of that thing. I, I'm, I can take or leave Domino's pizza. Yeah. Uh, but but those brownies, like, I took a square out and I was like, mm, yes. It's like half blondie, half brownie. Was it's the like cookie? a cookie. Was it the oh, cookie, cookie brand? brownies? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So good. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Domino's knows how to do desserts. Gets actually. me hard. That was a different direction. Uh, but uh, how about you guys? I mean, the most exciting part of my week is uh, free stuff. Well, uh, I wish that was uh, the case for us. Uh, ours was paid stuff, so you had free shipping. It, yeah, if you well, <laughs> technically free, you still have to pay for the tip. Yeah. So if you're watching live right now, you're wondering why we're a day late and like three hours early. <laughs> it's because uh, an XLR cable broke as soon as we so, went live. Out of nowhere. That means we're only 22 hours late. Oh, yes. Yeah, no oh, idea. Yeah. <laughs> so does that mean we're, let's see, 22 hours and like 70 cents short? There Something like that. Yeah. But yeah, uh, and then we had to look, and due to the time, we could not get it to just start extremely late last night. So we had to go, because we don't have any music shops around us. And Radio Shack isn't a real thing anymore. Yeah, everything's at least 45 minutes away. We used to have a Radio Shack like right down the road. Yeah, if Radio Shack hadn't gone under, like, the show could have just been an hour late last night, and it would have been fine. But, no. So, we had to order from Amazon Prime now, mm-hmm. and they only deliver from 10 no, to 10. No, you ordered from Amazon Prime then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I keep telling you we're not doing this who's on second gag. But so they, they do one, a fr- one day I'll get you to break. <laughs> they do a free two hour delivery. So and, and actually de- you can pay to actually have it delivered within an hour, depending on you know where you're at and stuff. Huh. But um, unless you order by a certain time that day, you have to pick a two hour delivery window that they have available. So had we ordered it like let's say early afternoon, it would have been there the same day, um, and it would have been a two hour delivery thing. But so instead, because we ordered it like, I don't know, what was it like? It was like 8.40 eight, something. Yeah, almost 9 o'clock last night. So we we still got free delivery, but um, we had to pick a two-hour window. So it got delivered this morning, um, and they said it would be, it's like the cable thing. It's like between 10 a.m. and noon. <laughs> like, and then, okay. <laughs> and then as per all Amazon deliveries, they don't knock. They don't let their presence yeah. be known. They just leave it at the doorstep and walk away. He went to open the door at, to go check the mail, and there was just a, it looked like a lunch bag. It was a brown paper bag, stapled, folded oh. over, that said Am, like Amazon Prime on it. <laughs> we, we, we have gotten a new UPS delivery person, because I had a package that got delivered to me from my parents the other day. And I have never heard someone knock so loudly on our door. Wow. And the they past, never it's knocked. always been... Yeah. Like, they tried, you know? <laughs> yeah. But that was like, bam, bam. I was like, it's like Jesus, are the cops coming in? Who's... <laughs> SWAT team. Like, I swear, it's not mine. <laughs> so, Whatever yeah, it is. At first, I was like, what kind of weird crap can we throw in there just to make the person delivering this be like, what the hell? And then changed my mind. I was like, well, there are some legitimate things we need. So we'll go ahead and throw those in. Yeah, but so future reference, if anyone needs XLR cables, Amazon Basics brand, uh, we got a 25-foot XLR cable for $11. Yeah. That is what's up. Although, side note, it would only let you order a maximum of two on the Prime Now order. It's probably all they, had in, all they had in stock. Yeah, so Maybe, it's yeah. all they had in the warehouse I, just, I thought that was interesting. But yeah, so... They just decide that you don't need 50-foot of cable. More than 50-foot. Mm. Mm-hmm. They're like, nobody needs that much. It's ridiculous. I beg to differ. Indeed. If you need that much, you've already got it. 
but so Casey, I think you're 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 probably more interesting than any of us right now. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, so first of the year, uh, we are um, you know kind of starting some new things this year, and you know I've been kind of waiting um, over the past few months to kind of put this out there because there were things that still needed to be tied up and make sure everything's going to go through. But at this point, it looks like um, I'll be helping out with opening a brewery here ah! pretty soon. Okay. So, um, Help, helping how are you like building the actual place yourself with your two human hands? <laughs> some of that, yeah. Um, <laughs> some of that, most likely. Uh, but no, so I'll be brewing, um, head brewer for uh, a, a new up and coming brewing company that uh, we're working um, pretty closely together to get some stuff going. And so, you know, my recipes, my, my kind of uh, ideas and, and where to go. I, I think that the folks that we're working with are really great on board with what we're kind of looking at um new recipes every every week type of brewery establishment um but we put in our ttb licensing so it's public domain at this point now if you could get somebody from the federal government to uh <laughs> if, to help out were there ahead. someone were there someone there to you know process this claim mm-hmm. yep. oh, so yeah. um yeah that's out there now and um so we'll be opening up uh, right now, with the way it's filed, everything looks good for uh, the name Broken Throne. So um, we're we're kind of looking to see what um, what different avenues we can go with that name and where we can go from that. But uh, but yeah, so hopefully we'll be up and going in eighty to ninety days. Wow! If Ooh. the federal government once the federal government gets back up and and running, uh, but we'll see how that goes. That's uh, otherwise, awesome. what else is happening in in about three months. Yeah, Wait, so... Casey, aren't you expecting twins at that? Why do you hate sleep? I do hate sleep. <laughs> uh, it's going to be... And and the great thing is I'm not current, quitting my current job to do this either. So it's going to be definitely a... Stretch uh, a thin. Feat, but we'll burning, be... Burning the candle at nine ends. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully is... after a, you know, a couple couple of years it'll all pay off and kind of set in but um but yeah it's going to be it's going to be a rough little uh little go for the first little bit i'm pretty sure so, hey, so this um, is going to be great I, you're doing luck. you're doing the science experiment how much caffeine can one person take yeah i did get a new <laughs> coffee pot so uh, oh you pulled the trigger on that one yeah i did so that's you're not that gonna need a coffee you're not gonna need a coffee pot you're gonna need a coffee iv mm. <laughs> enema we uh, talked about it enema We've got a, new, like a patch. got a new shirt already for Casey. Uh, Casey hates sleep. You should be able to find it soon. It's... So so uh, this means Delatters is real. Delatters, <laughs> Delatters is a place uh, in by uh, this know, summer. You can visit Delatters Brewing. It's just not <laughs> well, officially called that. As long as, as long as we're not still in a government shutdown by then. Uh, um, well, it's not even. Right people. Yeah. Get to work. I need new beer. Uh Wow. Yeah, no, technically it's going to be a broken, broken throne. Yes. But no. we all know in, yes. in our heart but of in hearts. Our hearts. But that throne is made of ladders. <laughs> yes. It's the ladders. Or <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um Yeah, it, it should be. Uh, I mean, that's what's on the TTB paperwork. So unless they come back and say no, um, they say we no. love kings. You cannot have broken throne. Um, that's, they say that's no. Then you get ladders. <laughs> <laughs> the ladders yep absolutely but oh so we'll see how things uh, progress i'll keep you all updated as 
as we get through the process and uh, and how close we are to opening. But paperwork's filed, so we'll see where we go from here. Yay. I'll jump in awesome. I'm like super excited for you. <laughs> Just bravo and congratulations, where's, Casey. Where's the laugh track on that one? <laughs> we have a laugh track? We we do, actually. Um, Just if, as of New Year's Eve. Keeping, <laughs> keeping this from me. No. <laughs> All right, Chris. We're changing the show format. We're doing a sitcom. Sitcom coming coming soon. Oh. Yeah. Uh, uh, whoops. She's bringing up some <laughs> weird stuff. We got an echoey sigh. Sorry. All right. Uh, how about some announcements? Yes. So. Uh, oh. Next episode is going to be live Saturday, January twelfth, which is also already weird to say. 9 p.m. Eastern, and we will be covering Buffalo Trace Distillery, which I think, are we still, are we going to call it Buffalo Trace or Buffalo and Pappy? It's, uh, the episode covers a lot of things. Okay, um, okay. I was talking about that pre-show. I mean, we'll just say Buffalo Trace and Pappy Van Winkle. Okay. And it, it could also be E.H. Taylor Jr. And it also be... <laughs> Ditzel Willett and Blanton's. Blanton's. There's <laughs> all kinds Happy of event. stuff. Look, that those grounds and those people did a lot. E.H. <laughs> Pappy Van Trace Distillery. <laughs> Trace Weller. <laughs> we should just, we should honestly just do a, a two part episode of just like bourbon in Frankfort, Kentucky. <laughs> the Pappy, Frankfort area. Pappy Van Sazerac, Weller, Trace. <laughs> But yeah, that, that's the next one. And uh, as you all will get sick of hearing, uh, we've got Drinktacular coming Friday, February 22nd through Sunday, February 24th. A few things will be happening that Sunday, but not a lot. 2019 in Asheville, North Carolina. Going to be doing brewery tours, brewery hopping, bottle shares. Uh, email us to reserve your spot. Feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. And so we can get correct counts for all the ticketing because, again, we're doing some 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 things that require you pay for a ticket, and we're just going to shoulder that cost. We just need to know how many people are going to be there. All right, mm-hmm. and next up, we have uh, our store being live. We have already gotten some orders in, of course. Uh, go to our website and click on the link, uh, or you can also just go to haveadrinkstore.com. And if you want a DeLatter's Brewing shirt or to have a drink out of your Have a Drink mug, then you can head on over there. And uh, if you have any ideas or uh, about a particular product that you'd like to see or a design that was something that we've talked about on the show, um, then just use that email that we just mentioned, feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. I want to see a shirt that says Raspberry Hefeweizen, the kind that you find in a secondhand brewery. Hmm. <laughs> see, i got to come up with this stuff, so... We gotta figure out how Sorry. to do that. <laughs> but we'll we'll see. We need to have like a dock of just ideas for for merchandise. I mean, maybe. Um. Anyway, so we also have an update on the movie draft. Welcome to your movie draft minute presented by DiamondClub.tv for the week of December thirty first, two thousand eighteen. I'm your host, Big Voice Jay. To all those getting plastic surgery, let me just say, Happy New Year. Let's go to the scoreboard. 
Team Von Squad's in last place with $292.2 million. Team Movie Party's in fifth place with $347.6 million. Team Game Night's in fourth place with $394.3 million. Team Ritual Misery falls to third place with $478.5 million. Team Drunk Kids Gaming moves to second place with $482.1 million. And maintaining first place for another week, it's Team Have a Drink with $571 million. That's your movie draft minute. All totals are accurate as of January 5th, 2019. We're we're, going to take that Mary Poppins train all the way to the finish line. I don't know. They're only like 82 million behind us. How on earth are we in first? Chim Chimney Chim Chim Charu. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, because... Uh, yeah, like I'm like looking at the dock itself, and I'm like, hmm. They, uh, what else do they have? That's they've got. Trunk Kids Gaming has Aquaman, and that's it. That's the end of their. Yeah, and I mean, it's not thing. like that's not making money because it totally. Oh, is. it's made all the money, but again, that's that's not expected to do blockbuster where it made all of its money in like the first two weeks. Yeah, and it's just made- gonna die. Well, it's made thirty million this past week, where our our movie made uh, fifteen. So oh, see, that's hmm. I'm I I knew Mary Poppins would do okay, but I'm kind of surprised that it's still chugging. It's <laughs> I don't, a I don't know why. it's got the long game again. You always get to look for family movies for the long game. Uh, everyone doubted us on the Grinch, and that's what got us here. It's true. Uh, I don't know. I'll be happy if we settle if we land in second. Yeah, I, I'm I'm good with that. I didn't really honestly expect us to get to first, just because there was. It's been a weird season of of not knowing what's going to happen. Yeah, I was expecting uh, uh, Ritual Misery to keep up there a bit higher, but then I forgot that uh, they also had Mortal Engines, which something that brought <laughs> made, them down really. Brought, brought low by by those cities. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so that was, again, the movie draft updates already always brought to us by uh, Big Voice J, and if you all missed his uh, his stint on uh, the New Year's Eve streamathon, you missed some pretty great stuff. Oh, it was great. Yeah. It was he did it a good was job. Great. It was after he, it was after midnight uh, Eastern time zone, but he still he he still covered what like three. Oh, uh, he went New for Year's? a long time, yeah. and it was great. And the man is a treasure. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, uh, we should scoot into a little bit of news. Uh, and I guess we'll go ahead and throw it up right now. Uh, trigger warning. Uh, this, <laughs> the, the very title of this article alone just is trigger warning, especially to the four of us. So, uh, Blue Moon named official craft beer oh. of the Kentucky Derby. But... No, notice how in the, no. in the headline they put craft beer in quotes. In quotes. Craft. Yeah. Craft beer. So, um, yeah, all of our heads simultaneously explode. Blue Moon, a division of Miller Coors announced today. Right right there says it all. Blue Moon, a division, <laughs> division of Miller Coors. Miller Coors. And, and therefore not craft. <laughs> <laughs> announced today they are the official craft beer of the Kentucky Derby, as well as the first ever beer sponsor of Churchill Downs Racetrack. So, one thing, why they didn't go with a Kentucky brewery, I am kind of baffled by for this, because other ones in town, like uh, Braxton, have also, they, Braxton had the official Breeders' Cup craft beer that they marketed pretty heavily and is still out there. 
So how they missed out on this, I'm not sure. Isn't Churchill Downs in Louisville or am I crazy? Yes. Yeah, it is. They could have just gotten against the grain. Nah, no one's going to. No. no, not for a deal like that. No one's. Not for this. Well, I mean, just because they're no, there. No, because no, what would. It's dollars. Yeah, it's yeah. dollars. And what would that label have looked like? It would have just been a giant horse oh, cock or that's something. That's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Or it'd have been, no, it'd it'd been some oh my gosh, they could have gotten um, it would have been some Blue kind of, Stallion. It would have been some kind of pun yeah. off of... Uh, do the volume that they need for that. If, what the horse, I'm saying. If it was against the grain, it would have been some kind of pun based off of uh, betting on whichever horse does his business before the race. And and an overweight guy in a trucker hat riding a horse. That have been the... <laughs> so the multi-year deal grants Blue Moon as the exclusive beer... For both the racetrack and the Kentucky Derby year-round. Additionally, Blue Moon has announced the addition of the Blue Moon Tap Room and Balcony at Churchill Downs, overlooking the paddock area. The build-out uh, will be similar in concept and offerings to their Denver Brewery. Furthermore, Blue Moon will be the title sponsor of Churchill Downs Twilight Thursday Racing Series, as well as saddling a pop-up venue in the infield on Derby Day. The, the most... I'm more surprised that it wasn't all tech. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I'm like trying to think of all the Kentucky brewery. <laughs> I mean, their logo is the silhouette of a horse. Yeah. And they and they have the money to pay for this. I yeah. mean, you're looking yes. at how many uh, hundreds of thousands at least, probably if it's multi-year, millions of dollars that they've paid to actually come in and say, "Oh yeah, you should name your your room after us." And so that's that's really where this is. Yeah, do, that is a big one because they could have swooped in and made the, the Kentucky Ale the official craft beer, and they could have named the whole the the room and the balcony and all that like the Pierce Lions Club oh, or yeah. something like that because that would still get, keep it with that like upscale feel and everything, and just put like you know a bronze bust of Pierce in there and I, yeah, they, but they couldn't have used Bourbon Barrel Ale. So the only thing I keep thinking with this, I mean, I'm not saying this is correct. And I'm not trying to defend them whatsoever. Blue Moon is as main, like it is a popular drink. Everyone who and anyone can just drink a Blue Moon and not think about it, even if they hate beer. Well, that brings us to the next uh, paragraph in the story. The most interesting piece of this story is Blue Moon's frequent usage of the term craft beer. The Brewers Association defines the term as independently owned breweries producing less than 6 million barrels of beer annually. The term is highly coveted and revered by the nation's more than 7,000 craft brewers. According to the Brewers Association, Blue Moon being a whole-owned subsidiary of Miller Coors does not qualify as craft brewer status. Mm -hmm. The term craft brewer is not a legally protected one which allows Blue Moon to call their product a craft beer, much to the chagrin of many America's small and independent brewers. Dumb. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, like, who wouldn't want to watch the Derby while having, like, a vanilla barrel? Oh, that's perfect. Or a nice big uh, coffee, coffee stout. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you still might be able to get those. Okay. It's just not, not named there. after and the not the official beer of. No, the exclusive well, beer. Exclusive. exclusive. It says oh. exclusive beer of Churchill Downs. So flat out, year-round, all you can get is Blue Moon. Hmm. 
Oh, okay. I was looking to, I was, the whole time. I'm just like looking at, at Alltech's site to see like, oh, what beer would they even pick though? Because they can't use the they bourbon barrel ale. I wish they'd bring the rye IPA back. They have the at. race day session IPA. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. whatever. And they've got Kentucky ale. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I, I, kept, a, I got the bourbon barrel ale in my head because that's what I'm so used, more used to seeing. So, but that's but yeah. their number one seller. Their Kentucky oh, yeah. ale. They produce the most Kentucky ale because that's what they put it's into the bourbon the barrels. barrels. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But either way, this is dumb, and it, they should feel huh. bad. Every every part of this just confounds me. Let's get a Colorado beer and make it the. But yeah, it is. It's dollars and cents, and it's corporations because in the at the end of the day, it is a company that runs the Kentucky Derby. I don't think they should be allowed to call themselves craft beer. Like, that needs to be fixed. <laughs> Not a legally protected term. It's a term that's defined by a trade association, which would most likely mean, which means that it's not a law that they've set up somewhere. They can right. say the whatever o- they want to say. Don't care. The only way that you can really get it is if you you said, okay, craft beer, we own the term craft beer, but they can't because they came along after yeah. the first person that said um well i guess that could be also in the movement to calling it not craft beer but calling it independent which the seal says independent yeah um, and they might be able to actually slap uh, an ownership on that independent seal which well, oh they yeah do that, on the they seal. That, definitely that's that's how they keep the you know blue move from yeah. adding that is because they own that property what gets me exclusive beer for both racetrack and the Kentucky Derby year round. Does this mean you can't get a Bud Light at the racetrack? It says exclu- so, it's the exclusive beer. In chat, um, for Viking is saying exclusive probably means that they only get ad rights. Yeah. Mm. That may that be sounds, That sounds closer to what... Also, I don't know if you guys are getting the same uh, ads I am on this site, but then I look over and I just see New Belgium Brute. Oh yeah, the brood IPA. And I'm, yeah, and I'm like, yeah, I want some of that. Okay, I, I hate everything about this story, but I actually like the art that they used for the derby it's, hat and the stuff. It's upsetting the child. Extensively upset the child with this. So expect a Blue Moon Derby partnership to be supported by uh, national, social, and digital media campaigns, plus branded glassware, bow ties, pocket squares, uh, vests, and more. All Some... will be inundated into Kentucky, and I will just avoid Central Kentucky liquor stores when we get close to Derby Day. Someone's going to try to tell you how to make a mint julep with a blue moon. Oh, I'm willing to bet. Well, no, no, no. This is beer, and there will be official bourbon and other spirits. Right. So... Yeah, I know, but they're like they're going to try to make like their version or something. I... I... I foresee them doing something that I'm not going to like. The bourbon other one, than this. The bourbon one is with Woodford, which I'm very okay with. Right. I'm just saying, like, I feel like they're going to make a, a beer cocktail. Probably. But, and that's why I'm like, eh. But you already got the logo there where it shows the the woman with a big sun hat, and it's got a little racetrack on it, and the rider's going across the rim of the hat. I don't know. It The, the whole thing rubs me the wrong way. Raises my hack, my cackles. hackles. Huh. All right. Well, something that uh, rubs me the right way is untapped. Get riggedy, riggedy, Try to catch her off her balance every time. You know, Derby Day this year is on May the fourth, uh, and makes it easy to remember that way. Yeah, it reminds me is the day I want to put a gun in my mouth. 
Well, you know what won't make you want to put a gun in your mouth? Probably. You can become a Beer City Bruce Sader. The Beer City City Bruce Sades Challenge is back. Are you ready? Craft Beer Scene in Grand Rapids, Michigan, a.k.a. Beer City USA, continues to grow, boasting more than 60 breweries and a 60-minute drive from Grand Rapids. Such a wide variety of breweries along the Beer Beer City Ale Trail. It's no surprise that the prestigious title was bestowed upon this city. Join those known as the Crusaders as they embark on a journey to find the perfect pint of Grand Rapids beer. You, too, could become a Brew City Crusader by unlocking this year's badge, celebrating America's best beer town. Check into five beers with any Grand Rapids-based brewery listed below any time through throughout 2019. With 40 quali- qualifying breweries, all creating many great beers, you're sure to enjoy. Uh, you're sure, you're sure to enjoy your journey to becoming a true brew sater. So I'm pretty sure I get this badge within the first two weeks of every year, because Hop Slam hits at the beginning of the year, and that's all it takes is because I drink it like by the six pack usually. So. <laughs> Just checking into all my individual hop slams. It's like, you got Brew City Crusaders. Like, yeah. Yeah, dude. I didn't even brew anywhere. Or City. <laughs> You're a hop slam. <laughs> all right. Uh, next up, I got to pause on this one. We've got some fun word usage. Uh, Januquenchy with dogfish head. Nope. It hurts. Um, so now that the holidays are over, it's time to shed a few of those unwanted pounds. But we definitely don't want to give up drinking really good beer. Enter Sea Quench Ale, the award-winning low-calorie beer that also happens to be the most thirst-quenching beer Dogfish Head has ever brewed. That's not wrong. For the month of January, the Dogfish crew invites you to join their resolution to be active and drink Sea Quench all month long. Do so, and not only could you shed the extra holiday weight, but you'll unlock a brand new badge. Check into one Sequench Ale from Dogfish between, uh, or no, sorry, during the month of January, and the Januquenchy badge is yours. Not not going to drink it all all month long, that's, uh, that's for sure. I might get a single. It is a very tasty beer, though. I love that beer. That's the one, for those un, uh, unaware, it's... It's not officially labeled as a Gosa, but it's a Gosa. And uh, it's got, it's the one with the, uh, it's lime crazy. It's got the black limes and, oh, it's it's very good. And apparently this badge has Sam Calgione on it, which is fantastic. Does it feel so good to drink a sea quench? <laughs> it looks like it from the badge. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, he has a hard push for this beer. I think he's, like, it's already a flagship, but I think he wants it to be... He's really putting all their hopes on sours being the next mainstream thing, and I really don't think that's going to be the case. No. Okay, well, uh, this one isn't uh, a badge, actually, but this is something in Untapped that is fun for everyone to talk about, and I want everyone in the podcast right now to go ahead and click the link, and uh, let's do the year in beer on Untapped, and you can see your year in beer by clicking the link in the tab. Oh, and let's go through these real fast. Uh, I want to start with mine. My year in beer. So, uh, I had 413 total beers this year that I checked into. Uh, that's approximately one beer per day. A little, little off. Uh, 375 unique beers, 103 different breweries, 74 distinct styles. So, I want to throw it out there. What do you all think 
my top five checked into beers are. Just off K- the top of your head. KBS. Oh. No. No, that's not... That. It has to be frequent check-ins. Oh, oh, uh... Think about what I would also be checking into. Because you would um, no Braxton. No, it's going to be something from uh, Streetside. Bingo! Number one is Raspberry Beret. Yeah, was this a Streetside or Listerman? So yeah, it was that, and then uh, Cookies and Cream Nuggets from 450 North Brewing Company. I think it's just because I stumbled across that at so many bottle shares and line shares this mm. year. Uh, pumpkin Ales because I had to crush a six pack by myself. Um, then this one was because of all the badges and the check-in you had to do to get them. Uh, the Waldo's special ale mm. came into my top five. And what rounded out my top five was Two Hearted from Bell's no. Brewery. My top style this year. I, I, we'll just guess the top one, not the top five. Top style. Uh, New England IPA. Mm. Casey gets it. Yeah. <laughs> IPA New England. That's, 37 yeah. check-ins. All right. Well, I finally got lugged into mine, and I forget to check into a lot. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, take a guess of what my uh, my number one the beer the top five most checked in beer. Top five most checked in beer this year. Well, yes. twenty eighteen. So it yeah. says this year on everything. Well, yeah. It's last year now. Baba Yaga. I feel like you go out of your way to check into that. All variants. Yeah. Not according to this. Oh. Could be tied with everything else because I have two check-ins of everything on this. Is it Oktoberfest? Nope. Oh. American Pale Ale, Ozark Beer Company. What? Huh? Also, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. <laughs> oh, <laughs> when you were there. Also, yeah. Also, Lexapolitan from Ethereal. Mm. I bet your top, uh, your top brewery is Ethereal, though. Yes, it is. <laughs> Yeah, it beats it by, uh, it basically doubles the next most brewery check-ins. Mm. Uh, but what's my, what's, what's my, uh, top two styles? Top two styles. Um, mm, I, I'm going to turn some heads and just say IPA. Well, yeah, but. American IPA and Sour Ale. Sour, okay. Sour Ale, all right. And. There's one more of these that I wanted to look at that I thought was good. My my overall most checked in style was American IPA, then American uh, Pale Ale, then Sours, and then uh, Sour Ghosts, an Imperial Double IPA, and Sour Ale. Man, who have I become? <laughs> See, three three years ago, you would not recognize modern day you, and that's not just because of the shaved head. Oh, it even says, no. I like this, like, kind of, it's a sort of an infographic, but, um, mine is interesting because, like, I was, you know, out for 10 months of <laughs> not being able to drink. So, it's like, yeah, her last, before It's like the, a moment in time capture. It, you stopped <laughs> drinking, the last day you drank was, uh, St. Patrick's Day, and you didn't start again until December. Yeah. I, my map of drinking, by the way, is mostly Cincinnati, Lexington, and, uh, then down in Asheville. I feel like I'm going to have a very similar map this coming year. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. Uh, so mine, and at the bottom it tells you how many badges you earned throughout the whole year. And I got mm-hmm. 44, because again, not that many check-ins. 114. 
Yeah, because you guys check in. Wow, six hundred and thirteen. Well, yeah, because yeah. you're like you're you're about it though. You're like an avid check-inner. Um, I got I, I did twenty nine total beers. Uh, my top five. The top one is uh the ju- uh, Voodoo Ranger Juicy uh Haze. I could see that you you really dug dug that. I feel like yeah, but the one after it, which I'm like I really didn't check into a lot of stuff that I. Uh, the one after it was the um, Old Rasputin. The barrel-aged? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the bourbon barrel-aged Old Rasputin. Uh, my top style was fruit beer. And just after that was the uh, Imperial Stout. Which I'm like, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Again, look at yeah. the seasons in which you actually drank last year. Most checked-in brewery is Listerman. That's, Listerman was my most checked-in brewery as well. Just after that, New Belgium. I'm like, yeah, that's about right. Really, all mine were local. Listerman, Streetside, Urban Artifact, Braxton, and then 450, which is quasi-local. Oh, I only had two local ones. Listerman, and then at the very bottom was Wooden Cask from that, I guess, the thing that we did there. And oh, then, yeah. Uh, and then uh, I had New Belgium, Prairie Artisan, and Dogfish Head. Hmm. Ah, thank you My, for the fall. Yeah, no. I had uh, most checked in were like Ethereal, Sierra Nevada, Braxton, Bells, and... Uh, uh, Wicked weed. Well, yours, were, uh, yours were at least all over the place then. Yeah, because I went to Asheville and checked into four Wicked Weed beers. As then... I was going to say, we're going to try and make everyone's top uh, top place that they mm. checked in uh, Burial for 2019. Mm. So, Casey. I went, I went there. I could have checked into more. I just forgot where I was. Casey, uh, you did some traveling. Let's let's hear about yours. It's got to be yeah, real 88, interesting. 88 total beers this year. So, you know, I usually just check in when I'm having something new or the first time I have it. To be perfectly honest, usually whenever I have a beer, it's the first time I've had it. Um, of those 88 beers this year, 86 were unique. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, I was waiting for, of those 86 I had, 88 were unique. Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, what? 51 uh, were from different breweries. So 51 different <laughs> breweries this year. Wow. 47 distinct styles. So of 88 beers, 47 styles. I, too, um, had 47 distinct styles. There we go. Now, top five most checked in two beers can really be narrowed down to the top two most <laughs> checked in beers because everything after the top two is just one check-in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the only two that I've checked in more than once is uh, Pastures of Blaze from Burial and Spotted Cow from New Glarus. Yeah. Uh, all, both are uh, home runs. Number one style American IPA, followed by New England, Saison, Berliner Weiss, and then Stout. Mm, Saison. (laughs) Top five breweries for the year were Burial with 11 check-ins from Burial, New Glarus with six, Revolution with five, Alltech with five, and Braxton with four. Top five most checked-in venues, I checked in 10 times at Burial Beer. (laughs) Um, Six times at Braxton Labs. Six times at a World of Beer, three times at New Glarus, and three times at Doubletree by Hilton. Man, I bet your map looks a lot more impressive than mine. Yeah, his has got to be <laughs> like most of the U.S. 32 unique venues, two countries. Actually, should have been three countries. There's one that's not listed on here. Um, I don't think I actually was able to check in um, last year whenever I was in uh, the Bahamas. Mm. Um, Wi-Fi. Um. When looking at these, 32 unique venues, 13 states or regions. Here's my fun part. 
breweries. Nine of them were at breweries. Nine, nine of my check-ins were at breweries. Five, my second most highest, were at hotels. <laughs> yeah. A lot of hotel drinking. So, yeah. 292 badges earned, but, uh, you know, some of my most, most uh, proud of was uh, the cheers to eight years. So uh, eight years and then National Beer Day. Everybody should uh, download it as well because it, it gives you an option to um, share your year in beer. So you can share it on Twitter, but you can also download like the the infographic kind of image thing. Mm-hmm. So just a heads up there. Intent okay. to other hosts of the show. <laughs> She's like, hey, right. hey, go do this. So I can put it on the Instagram maybe. Go, go do this now before you forget. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> All right. Well, um, <laughs> I believe... We have a very lengthy topic. It occurs to me I should have looked for... We need a one that's just like a permanent wine one. Mm. Oh, yeah. I, w- I will say before we get too far into this, uh, uh, I'm doing a weird, ex- uh, a weird thing for the episode... It's kind of uh, jumping ahead to what I'm drinking, but uh, I'm I'm going down the path of uh, of our of our wine from grape to bottle, and I'm starting with some grapes. Oh, all right. It's been weird chewing this whole episode, but eventually I'll move on to some grape juice, <laughs> and then maybe some wine. We'll see. So does that mean you're going to start pouring straight sugar? You're going to gnaw on some yeast, and yeah. I really thought about that. I was like, man, I wish I could get some yeast. Oh, you can get some yeast. <laughs> I meant quickly and the right kind. Oh, okay. Fine. Uh, well, in the world of fine winemaking, or just regular winemaking, uh, <laughs> there's really only two types of uh, vines that reign supreme. Fitness, vin... Not going to work here anymore. Uh, vin, uh, vinifera of European grapes, uh, or European grapes, and Vitnes Labrusca, or American native grapes. Although there are a number of other grape varieties that can be utilized in winemaking, these are the two most used. For traditional wine, the European varieties are used most often, and the names are probably the more recognizable. Your Cabernet Sauvignon, your Merlots, your Pinot Noir, your Zinfandel, Chardonnay, Pinot, Grigio, sorry, I just did that just to annoy Brittany, uh, Sauvignon Blanc and Riesling uh, are just a few of the more than 5,000 different varieties of this grape. The American varieties are a little less well-known when looking at fine wines. They may be even more used as grape juice or grape jelly uh, mm, than wine grapes. Sorry. Now I'm just thinking about biscuits with some, like, nice jam. These include Catawaba, Delaware, Muscatine, Yurikataba, uh, Ni- Niagara, Niagara, Niagara probably. Niagara. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, and, it comes from upper upstate New York. Oh, okay. I was just like that can't be right. There's too much, wa- too many waterfalls there for grapes. <laughs> uh, and of course, the most popular, Concord. Uh, the American versus European grapes are better adapted to less temperate climate, less temperate climates in the United States, and a little more reasonable to work with when trying to grow your own grapes in the Northeast or in the Midwest. 
There are also the French American varieties that are a hybrid between European and Native American uh, Native American varieties. Uh, Ventus Vinifera varieties are considered by many to be the best for producing world-class wines. Each different grape variety has its own particular character, defined by flavor, color, berry size, phenolics, and the balance of sugars and acids contained in the fruit. Exactly how much grape, uh, how much grape varieties characteristics manifest in finished wines is dependent on many factors. Uh, the most important uh, of which is terrier. Like, like the dog? Terroir. 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 Oh, okay. Uh, soil and microclimate within the vineyard. Uh, viticulture management practices uh, and the chosen winemaking techniques. Uh, a named cultivated grape variety is formally referred to as a cultivar. Uh, however, the most common desig- uh, designation of variety is usually used. In Europe, the finest wines, known primarily by their regional names, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, for instance, are major grapes in the Burgundy region of France. Uh, Elsewhere, however, as in the Americas and Australia and South Africa and New Zealand, uh, most wines are labeled by their varietal names. In addition to choosing the right variety uh, and planting new vineyards, the grower can select clones based on flavor profile, berry size, cluster shape, vine yields, uh, vine vigor, and bud, uh, bud break and tolerance to heat, humidity, and drought. Uh, that is a lot to take into account for something like this. I understand how a lot of it can go into it. It's just my brain goes, yeah, but none of it tastes good. <laughs> uh, when selecting a grape, it's important to note that chilling hours uh, required Different grape grower, uh, growing regions will have different numbers of hours that a climate will dip below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Many fruit-bearing plants will enter dormancy in the normal life cycle of the plant. Well, this life cycle is only triggered to restart after the plants have experienced a number of hours of cold temperature. Most grapes will only need about 150 hours of temperature, uh, 150 hours of temperatures below 50 degrees. But some fruit trees, like cherries, will need up to 800 hours of chilling. This process, this process resets the plant and gets it ready to grow again following uh, in the following season. I'm just picturing like like uh, it's not done yet. All right, put the tree back in the refrigerator, <laughs> then wheel it back out here. That is in some warmer areas how you can get your <laughs> chilling hours on a potted plant. Is wow. you you put it in a walk-in cooler or something very similar? Well, grapevines are perennial, which means they survive beyond two years or growing seasons. In fact, newly planted vines aren't fully mature and ready to produce grapes until sometime years after they're planted. Most grapes are planted uh, are going to be clones, meaning we've taken them into a lab and we've raised them into a into a grape army to destroy the. Oh no, that's that would be more exciting. <laughs> destroy the republic. Mm-hmm. No, they are taken by cutting off part of a currently living vine and planting it. The clone is identical to the original plant and therefore is going to exhibit the same qualities and similar conditions. Although, this strikes me as uh, problematic if there's a big, you know, blight that affects something genetically. Yeah, could be a problem. But you get consistency that way, so I'm assuming they kind of figure on stuff like that. Well, grapes can be planted from seeds, but will produce... uh, 
plants that are different from the parents. For nearly uh, 100% of all cases, all commercially available plants will be clones of another plant. Uh, if you were to go to purchase a grapevine at your local home store or garden center, you'll likely find a plant that are selected uh, to be viable in your area. If ordering plants from a mail order or online company, you will need to determine if they are going to be suitable for growing, growing conditions in your location. Uh, grapevines today, of the European variety, have been specially uh, designed to be resistant to disease. The grower will do this prior to sending the vines to be planted. Disease-susceptible grapes will be grafted or attached to root systems that are specifically resistant to disease that attacks grapes. Uh, I guess uh, phylorexia is the most common? Phylloxera. Phylloxera. That's closer than I thought I was going to be. Uh, is the most common lurfant disease that prevents uh, that is prevented by resistant roots. Uh, site selection is uh, site selection is also important. Uh, is as important in growing a grape variety, growing grapes as a variety. The enemies of grapes are humidity, extreme heat, and extreme cold. Uh, Grapevines do best in temperate climates outside of the tropics, where the temperature swings and are less extreme, and there is plenty of water, but not much humidity. This is why California, Australia, and some of South America and Europe have some of the best growing regions in the world. Climates near the ocean experience temperature control throughout major wind patterns and ocean currents that can help grapes grow better. You know, as long as everything stays the same climate-wise. It still makes you scratch your head why people thought South Africa was, I mean, how does that work? It's t typically not, uh, not that rich for water sources. Well, I mean, depending on the part of Africa, yeah, but and then yeah, as we saw, the the growers get a lot of the say in where the water's going. Mm -hmm. All right, well, a grapevine can be planted at a couple times of the year. It's uh, it is desirable to plant them while the plant is dormant, which can minimize trauma. This means either <laughs> either the very late fall or early spring. Just picturing like, you know, being able to remember birth. For example, <laughs> plants don't want that. Extremely like, no! traumatic. Uh, so you want to avoid moving the plant during the harshest of temperatures while also doing it while it has a chance to get accustomed to the new location prior to starting new growth. Sites for growing grapes should have full sun exposure, good air circulation, and well-drained soil. Grapes need a lot of water. If it's wet all the time, it can hurt the roots. Yeah, because um, mold is just a huge blight on grapes. That's why you need well-aerated soil. Uh, but uh, humid, con humid conditions are perfect for setting up uh, downy mildew and other diseases that will ruin the fruit. Gently rolling hillsides with well-stabilized soil are fine. However, cultural operations are easier on level or gently sloping sites. Uh, isn't that kind of what led us to what was it, port wines when we talked about that? How it's all on those... Uh, those hillsides? Oh, along the sides of the river. Yeah. Yep. So uh, those are A, A okay, perfect. The river. Uh, when planting on hills, it's important to plant a little ways up the hills. Uh, this will help the coldest of air move down the valleys and below the grapes. The hills there, uh, yeah, the hill there are a uh, preferred zone that keeps the grapes happy in temperature while also not subjecting them to harsh blowing winds at the top. So you got to find that nice, nice little middle area in there. 
Uh, great plants are usually planted in rows with other clones of the same type. By working in rows, makes it easier to harvest when the time comes. It also makes it easier for a blight to tear through row after row and annihilating your crop. Grapevines require... Kill all grapes. <laughs> grapevines. Kill all grapes. They require a trellis for vine support and uh, the production of a high-quality crop. The trellis system should be in place by the start of the second growing season. However, installing the trellis prior to planting is advantageous. The training system should be strong, uh, long-lived, and appropriate for grape cultivar and vineyard site. This is a major vineyard investment that should last 20 years or more. Yeah, I can see that being a pretty sizable sizable investment when you're doing that for your entire uh, plant, like all the plants. It's, it's going to be a lot. Grape, grapevines require uh, regular maintenance, including training, pruning, and canopy management, Weed control under trellises, maintaining row middles, and post-planting fertilization will also be required. Training vines begins early in the season. I can't help but, you know, picture, like, a dog trainer standing out, like, with each plant. And it has a little hoop. Here, <laughs> vines. Like... Here, vines. They got a little clicker. Yeah. <laughs> um... So, uh, bah, 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 bah. training vines begins early in the season as new shoots emerge in the spring. Choosing one or two shoots that will serve as the vine trunk and removing all other shoots is important to develop strong, healthy trunks. It's all about that trunk. Yeah, so it, it kind of looks whenever you, you, you know, these are vines. And so they will start shooting out these various different um leaves all the way around all the way up and down the idea is you want two real big main trunks of the vine to go up and hit that trellis system and then once they hit it let them spread out horizontally instead of vertically and so it'll let it get up you know two or three feet up in the air and then they'll spread out vertically to spread more sunlight on it um, if you can separate the ground moisture from the leaves and the rest of the plant having that breathability between the ground and the rest of the plant will actually help reduce um, a lot of the uh, diseases that can get in there and, and help prevent some of the um, the mold and mildew that'll happen basically you just gotta air air your stuff that gets all moist and doesn't see a lot of sunlight you gotta air that stuff out and it'll yep. keep the disease away it really works in all aspects of life <laughs> Specific training methods will depend on the type of trellis system chosen for a specific cultivar. It uh, may take two years to fully train a vine to the trellis system to ensure a well-established trunk and fruiting arms. When After do they get to the? Uh, when do they get to their breeders' cup? <laughs> After the vines have been fully trained to their trellis system. Training should not be needed on mature vines unless there is a need to replace a trunk or a uh, cordon. Canopy cordon management uh, includes dormant pruning, shoot trimming, or shoot, shoot, uh, <laughs> take, shoot thinning. There you go. My tongue is like, nope, you can't do that one. Shoot thinning, shoot positioning, shoot hedging. This is, this is a tongue twister. Cluster thinning and, if needed, leaf pulling. The purpose. See, shoot thinning and cluster thinning are uh, why I had to shave my head. <laughs> so, if you could imagine that 
you've got your arms stretched out to your side, and so you're kind of making a T with your body. Um, Check. The, the main trunk that's going to be pretty much pruned back completely is going to be everything from basically um, your chest down. <laughs> so that's going to be all all trimmed. Your arms out. Nah, that's like a out whole lot side. of work. <laughs> you can wax it too. Oh, uh, <laughs> the arms stretched out to the side. Those will be wrapped around the uh, y, uh, the vine, uh, the 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 metal kind of uh, cords. I don't know, mm-hmm. um, or or whatever you're using as your trellis system. Uh, those will be wrapped around up there, and so it'll it'll be like your the plants grasping on up top. And this is the canopy of the the actual plant. All right. Well, the purpose of canopy management is to increase sunlight exposure to the grapevine canopy, provide better spray coverage, and to balance vegetative and fruiting growth that will maximize grape production each year. Balanced vines will improve fruit quality, cold hardiness, and longevity of the vineyard. By cutting the appropriate leaves off the plant, it allows for good airflow through the canopy and importantly through the fruit while also shading the fruit from direct sunlight. I feel like I would be garbage at this because that's that's when they're literally going through and taking all this into account and cutting those leaves off. It's like, so you got to get the right ones. Yeah, I I feel like there should be a chart. Like, you know, (laughs) color by numbers, trim by... Well, the, the people who are entrusted out in the fields to do this have been doing it for generations and are very well paid to to not hit the wrong leaves. Maybe so, not a, very well paid. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, no, no, no. no. End, okay, for generations, but not well paid. Yeah, that's more accurate. <laughs> uh, I am picturing them like going through, though, going like, yeah, I mean, I know what I'm doing here. There's no... Did you just cut all of the grapes off? No. Let's just say the wall might hurt uh, the wine industry in California. Uh, Vineyards require two types of pruning, dormant pruning and in-season shoot thinning. Dormant pruning uh, will take place in the early spring after severe weather has passed. Dormant pruning is the essential management practice uh, that determines the amount of crop that will be held in a given season. Shoot thinning takes place when the green shoots are about two to three inches. When do we get to ladder thinning? <laughs> Never. I, I held that back as long as I humanly could. So some vineyards uh, will only let a vine make one or two bunches of grapes. This ensures uh, that the entirety of the plant's energy is devoted to a small amount of fruit. This will ensure that the vineyard is not producing just quantity, but more importantly, quality. Grapevines are selected for harvest based around the number around a number of factors. Uh, sugar content, pH, and even tannins are measured using not only tools, but most importantly, the winemaker's sense of taste. The weather will be watched closely when nearing harvest time. A deluge of rain will cause the grape uh, berries to swell with water and actually dilute the sugar and flavor. Slightly. Sorry, the way the way you read that kind of got into like a. a... Civil War letter writing oh. thing, like the what? Uh, it's like a deluge of rain. Watched, <laughs> watched closely at all this time. The deluge of rain. <laughs> Slightly dehydrated grapes actually provide a more intense flavor. 
<laughs> the moment the grapes are picked uh, determines the acidity, sweetness, and flavor of the wine. Determining when to harvest requires a touch of science along with old-fashioned tasting. Yeah, that's something I wouldn't really want to uh, have anything to do with when an entire business is based on, like around all of these very minute details. This this grape I, I picked would not make good wine. It looks like a blackberry. Those are the most delicious grapes. Mm. Makes my mouth water. Um, so speaking of grapes, uh, grapes can either be cut from the vine by hand or by using a machine that drives over the vines and picks the grapes off the vines. Yeah, that sounds like more fun. Like a monster truck. That sounds like it. How is that not a simulator game by now? It's a monster truck with uh, with people strapped to the bottom of it. <laughs> Jesus. You see a thousand little hands going really fast as Bigfoot like ramps up over the entire harvest. Goodness. See if they can ju- see if they can make this over this ramp and jump the vineyard. <laughs> how how are Led Duke boys going to get out of this one? So, Brittany, Casey's looking it up. There is a Farming Simulator 2017 mod yes. for a winery. Oh, for, for it. <laughs> yes. Obviously. So you can drive the truck. Do we do we need to start playing this on on Twitch and do Wait. a Twitch plays and be like, hey guys, help us with our why? Well, yes, we do with our harvest. <laughs> oh my god! I never got amazing. farming simulator. That was I, one I just wasn't. I'm I didn't not, get any of the simulators. Like I, the I, the Euro simulators. I am. I don't want to simulate working on a farm. I don't want to simulate <laughs> driving a truck. No. You want right? simu- to simulate being a a, a goat? Oh, that God. <laughs> All right. Yes. Okay. Uh, for this process to work, vines must be trained in a way that allows the mechanical grape harvester to work in the vineyard and allows easy access to the tops of the vines where the grapes are. The harvester drives above the rows of vines, straddling the row. It grasps the top of the vine and shakes the whole vine, leaves, grapes, and all. The vibration yeah, shake that vine. <laughs> the vibration knocks the grapes off the vine and even knocks them off the stem. The machinery then con- conveys the grapes to a truck, tractor, truck or tractor, driving either behind or one row over from the harvester using a belt system. Some harvesters will store the grapes on board until they're ready to be unloaded at the end of the rows. So you would just see me doing this job with that truck, just blaring out good vibrations by the Beach Boys, nonstop. Sure. <laughs> they're nice trucks. <laughs> real nice trucks oh they probably are well they're gonna have a really good sound system in them now exactly. they blare they out. yeah <laughs> uh, people going around like, why are there so much beach boys the grapes love it <laughs> science uh mechanical harvesters are not usually purchased by smaller vineyards so they must either hire a harvester to run their field for them or pick by hand harvest uh in the same way sorry Harvest in the same wine-growing region usually happens around the same time, so it can be tricky to schedule one. Mechanical harvesting was only introduced in the 1960s. Hand harvesting is the traditional method of grape picking. There are... See, they had to wait till the 1960s so they could have the Beach Boys. Exactly. So yeah. they had good vibrations. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what they were waiting on. Uh, there are many they stories... Had te- they had technology back in the 20s, but they went, no, wait, we don't have the right song. <laughs> Uh, There are many stories in historical literature centering around migrant workers who moved vineyard to vineyard to harvest various fruit when in season. 
There was also a romantic notion for young adults to move to California or other wine-growing regions and pick grapes to be paid by the basket load. The romantic notions of being a grape harvester, uh, however, are overshadowed by the fact that a that for uh, some, becoming a grape gypsy okay, is the best choice they have for a better life. Uh, many yeah. migrants from... Huh? It's like, yeah, now we start getting into depressing territory. Yeah. Always. Uh, many migrants from Mexico come to California to pick grapes by hand and perform the hard manual labor needed in the industry. Harsher immigration policies may actually cause wine prices to increase or methods of picking to change as labor is harder to find. Yeah, we're just going to leave that there. Um, <laughs> hand harvesting means taking the whole bunch of grapes off the vine. Most uh, wineries handpick their grapes designated to their flagship wine. Many consider the process gentler on valuable vines and grapes and believe only a trained eye can ensure the collection of the best fruit. Mm, this one looks like former President Millard Fillmore. <laughs> I'm going to say this wrong. Uh, Ornalia and Opus One. That's probably wrong are among the producers who subscribe to this line of thinking and believe the benefits justify the wine's cost as these wines can easily fetch $300 a bottle. Yeah, we talked about Opus One recently in yeah. one of our news episodes. Yeah, it's the other word that I'm like... <laughs> um, there is truth to this claim, especially concerning delicate grapes that are prone to break during machine harvesting. Pinot Noir's thin skins require careful handling. Broken or damaged fruit leads to oxidation... Uh, browning of aromatics and bacterial growth. Uh, some vintners prefer to pick grapes when th with clippers rather than knives for a very specific reason. Clippers enable a clean cut of the stem, which they may include in the fermentation. Didn't know that. Uh, other wine styles like late harvest and noble rot de uh, dessert wines demand manual labor too. The cutting of individual uh, botrytized yes Botrytized berries for, damn it, <laughs> sauternes? Yep, sauternes, sure. yes. Uh, can only be done by hand, uh, which may require several passes through the vineyard over a number of weeks. The process mm -hmm. is both uh, laborious and expensive. By the way, yes. I found the I found the Opus One story. They were the ones suing over cork taint. Oh, yes. Oh. Okay. That, that tainted, tainted cork. Yeah. Um, the... Botryize just basically means infected. So these these hmm. the the noble rot dessert wines are actually an infected. They've sat on the the vine so long they actually start to rot a little bit, but they change the flavor in a way that's actually kind of nice. And we'd so ne we'd never drink beer that was spoiled in such a way. Never, <laughs> no way. Um, and so they'll actually go and pick those berries one at a time instead of a whole bunch of grapes. They'll just say, "Oh, okay, these berries look good. I'll take these." And then uh, they'll come back later and pick ones that are, are more um, more done or, I guess, rotted mm. by, by the next pass-through. So you keep saying berries, now all I want is blackberries. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it makes me think of the noble rot um, stuff from Dogfish Head. Yeah. Mm. The, that Absolutely. stuff is... I love that stuff, too. Although they Where had two different name? versions. I liked one better than the other. Either way. Uh, in some appellations, handpicking is the law. One of the biggest challenges in Champagne is finding the nearly 120,000 pickers needed for the three-week harvest. 
Holy crap. Um, Just go to Amazon. There's lots of pickers there. <laughs> right. Uh, vineyard terrain, vine spacing, and vine training often dictate the manner of picking. To work the steep slopes of the Mosul Valley with a tractor, uh, when not outright impossible, can risk injury or death. Old vines are often spaced too close for tractors, while non-standardized training systems like um, priorots, priorots, uh, bush vines, or northern Italy's per- oh, good lord pergolas also can't be accessed by machineries. Pergolas are done by Legolas. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't. I didn't know the thing about. Um, God, 120,000. That's just, that's a large number there. <laughs> I mean, I guess for champagne, uh, sure, that makes sense, but geez. Make a lot of champagne. Yeah. That's why champagne's more expensive. Seriously. You know, even your entry level bottles are still 40 or 50 bucks. Yeah. If they say method champenois, that's part of that, uh, it's part of that champagne method. So sometimes the decision to hand pick is actually made during the harvest season. In 2015, Silver Thread Winery in the Finger Lakes region of New York made the call to hand pick their Chardonnay thanks to a smaller than usual crop at the end of their disease-ridden year. Finally, ethos may actually inform the decision. Natural winemakers that look to reduce sulfur use uh, the have a need for intact berries. And so that, that actually reduces the amount of uh, infection they would be putting into their um, their wines. By the way, I have now switched over to juice. Man, it was a lot sweeter when I was eating eating just grapes. <laughs> you know, tastes like a healthier sweeter anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. After the grapes are sorted to weed out rotten and underripe grapes, they are ready to be de-stemmed and crushed. So if it's hand-picked, they actually need to be de-stemmed. If it's picked by a mechanical uh, device like the, the the tractors, it'll de-stem them on the tractor. Yeah, they'll, they'll shake them so hard that stem comes out. Yep, it shakes it right off the vine. Um, for many years, men and women did this manually by stomping on the grapes with their feet. Nowadays, most winemakers perform this mechanically. Mechanical presses. Stomp. You hear that, Lucy? Hear that, Lucy? You're out of the job. Yeah. Uh, or that one uh, uh, reporter who fell over and then starts moaning. I don't she know. probably broke something. Probably. I'll have to, I'll have to pop it up. Uh, mechanical pros- presses stomp or trod the grapes into what's called a must. Must is simply freshly pressed grape juice that contains skins, seeds, and solids. Mechanical pressing has brought tremendous sanitary gain as well as an increased as increased the longevity and quality of the wine. Yeah, no more athlete's wine. <laughs> <laughs> For a white wine, the winemaker will quickly crush and then press the grapes in order to separate the juice from the skins, seeds, and solids. This is to prevent unwanted color and tannins from leaching into the wine. Um, white wine actually comes from red grapes a, a very large proportion of the time um i think chardonnay is is still a uh, white grape but um as far as uh, these these white wines go the juice is white until it actually contacts the uh, the skin hmm. red wine on the other hand is left in contact with the skins to acquire the flavor color and additional tannins that come from those those grape skins trying with real trying real hard with... not not trying to break into song with red red wines, the must Stay is pressed. Close to me. Okay. 
The must is pressed after primary fermentation, which we'll talk about here in just a little bit. Uh, it separates the skins and other solid matter from the liquid. With white wine, the liquid is separated before that fermentation. With rosé, the skins must be kept in contact for a shorter period to give the color of the wine that light blush. In the case uh, that, in that case, the wine may be pressed as well, just to to make sure to get everything out. Um, one of the most popular rosé wines out there is, of course, white Zinfandel. Zinfandel being a red grape um, that, when created into a rosé, is kind of pink blush color. Today I learned there was a red Zinfandel. <laughs> well, yesterday I learned, but today I learned sounds better. T-I-L. After crushing, and in the case of white wine pressing, fermentation comes in. Must or juice can begin fermenting naturally within 6 to 12 hours. So that is actually, um, you can actually ferment it without adding any, uh, any yeast at all because the wild yeast in the air and on the outside of the grape skin actually helps create that fermentation process. However, many winemakers intervene and add a commercial cultured yeast to ensure consistency and predict the end results. So there'll be a few, you know, a small amount of bacteria. It's a decent amount of bacteria on the outside of those and, um, and yeasts on the outside of those grape skins. They're going to come in and throw in buckets of yeast to make sure that that yeast overpowers the um, wild yeasts that are in there. And with, um, with, wine you're fermenting until all the sugar is converted into alcohol and you're producing a dry wine that means that there won't be anything left over at the very end for those wild yeasts which are better at kind of cleaning up after um after the regular yeasts have kind of finished up they're they're kind of making funky flavors so i hadn't thought about this until you were talking but like ancient wine must have been weird as heck oh yeah oh yeah yeah, like because they're like you couldn't keep that same consistency. So I'm just picturing like, like man, that could have varied like <laughs> bottle to bottle. Oh, it, you mean jug to jug? Yeah, <laughs> um, it, it, it was literally in Roman times. It was just it'll get you drunk. <laughs> well, well, they would also you, water it down. When you look at um, you look at some of those early biblical, you look at water into wine. Um, Jesus' first miracle in, in the Bible. And so the the story goes that, you know, everybody's having a great time at a party, and then Jesus comes in and basically uh, creates this this wine, and they say, oh, this wine is, is better than the wine you served us before. The idea of that time was that new wine actually tasted better than old wine because old wine just got funky. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, because, like, like, there was a thing, like, you don't add new new wine to an old wine skin because it'll mess everything up too and because yep. so. the, the you know the old wine skin has old additional wine. bacteria they it's multiplied the bacteria yeah. is multiplied and so yeah if you kept doing that it would be a it would be a definitely a, a stronger you would be making a culture of bacteria man i or bet vinegar. nowadays i bet nowadays they're like god get that culture <laughs> Uh, to create um, to create this, you you could usually move wine from one vessel to the next um, after this fermentation process has kind of completed its first 
first bit. And that's to get the, the wine off of dead yeast cells and particles that have fallen out of the fermenting liquid. It also helps to aid in clarification a little bit later on to get some of that stuff off so more stuff can fall out. Um, to create a sweet wine, however, winemakers will sometimes stop the process before the sugar is completely converted. Fermentation can take anywhere from 10 days to a month. Um, white wines be a little bit quicker. Red wines being a little bit longer. Although, um, if you go back to the episode about what was our wine episode we did most recently? Robert, uh, Robert Mondavi. Mondavi. Cold fermentation gave a different flavor, a fruitier flavor. And so mm. cold fermentation actually slows down how many days it takes for fermentation to take place. And so the flavors changed um, into a different different flavor profile. I'm so also hearing that as I'm also hearing that as cult fermentation, oh. like Colt forty five. Like, you know, yeah, this will I bet you bet you Colt forty five is cold fermented. He's like, Yeah, <laughs> let's let's get this get this party started. So before the advent of modern winemaking, most presses were baskets made of wood and operated manually. Uh, basket presses are composed of a cylinder of wooden slats on top of a fixed plate with a movable plate that can be forced downward. Basically, you had these wooden uh, wooden slats that came up and kind of made a, a bowl or a, a cylinder, and then you have a, a piece of wood that you would press down into um, the, uh, the, the, the cylinder. So the press operator would load grapes or pomace into the wooden cylinder, put a plate on top, and then lower it until the juice started flowing from the wooden slats. As the juice flow decreased, the plate was ratcheted down again. So you would have like a crank and it would screw down into uh, down into it to keep pressing it up. The process would be continued until the press operator determined that the quality of the pressed juice or the wine at that point, depending on if it's been fermented or not, was below standard or um, if you didn't really care, all the liquid had been pressed out. The wine, you say? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I've just poured my next... Ooh, you're on the wine. Um... Since the early 1990s, though, modern mechanical basket presses have been revived through their higher th uh, through high-end producers. Uh, they're seeking to replicate the gentle pressing of the historical basket presses. Because basket presses have a re relatively compact design, the press cake offers a relatively longer pathway for the juice to travel before leaving the press. It's believed that uh, the basket press actually will... Um, have this this juice going through more grape materials and um, actually filters out some of the solids that would be affecting the quality of the uh, juice later on. So once fermentation is complete and this press process has happened, if it's a red grape um, or a red wine, then you can start with the clarification process. So clarification is when solids such as dead yeast cells tannins and proteins can be removed so wine is transferred or what's called racked into different vessels such as oak barrels or stainless steel tanks and wine can be clarified through a couple different methods first is fining um, which is adding something to it or filtration which is using something to take out particles uh you using you know mechanical changes to take it out well Fining occurs when a substance uh, substances are added to the wine to clarify it. For example, the winemaker might add a substance such as clay to the the unwanted particles that we'll adhere to. Uh, this will force them to the bottom of the tank. Filtration occurs using the filter to capture larger particles in the wine. The clarification 
is then racked into another vessel to prepare for bottling or future aging. So, so sort of, go ahead. Well, finding just uses basically mechanics to create bigger particles. We know that small particles like to stay in solution. Larger particles become heavier and like to fall out. And so you can use clays that are kind of, they're, they're almost magnetic in a way whenever it, it attaches to some of these particles floating around and they'll start to fall out. Also, you can use uh, findings to create larger substances that will then get captured inside of a filter when you're actually filtering that wine out. Hmm. Well, microbial stabilization requires a filtration of at least 0.65 micrometers. So, you know, it's, that's real small. I was going to make a joke. I was like, eh, that seems pretty big, but no. Uh Anyway, uh, 0.65 micrometers for yeast retention and 0.5 micrometers for bacteria retention. However, filtration uh, might lighten this level uh, of the, at this level might lighten a wine's color and body. Microstabilization does not imply sterility. Well, that's good. Uh, removing or killing all forms of life and other biological agents. It simply means that a significant amount of yeast and bacteria have been removed to a harmless level in the wine stability. So, don't worry. Nothing died in the process of getting you this wine. Uh, oh, it's dead. <laughs> oh, it's dead. Dead, dead wine. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway, aging and bottling is the final stage of the wine-making process. A winemaker has two options. Bottle the wine right, uh, right away or give the wine additional aging. Further aging be done in the bottles, uh, stainless steel tanks, or oak barrels. And I favor barrels because barrel all the things. Because the founder's Kentucky. method. Yeah. Founder's method. F it. Put it in a barrel. Aging wine in oak barrels will produce a smoother, rounder, more vanilla-flavored wine. I like all of those words. Uh, it will also increase wine's exposure to oxygen while it ages, which decreases tannins. You're still speaking my language. And helps the wine reach its optimal fruitiness. Yeah, all right, cool. Uh, steel tanks, uh, commonly used for zesty white wines. Explains a lot. Uh, all white wines just need <laughs> yeah, to be right? dumped down. How do, you, how do you drink a white wine? You, you cork it, you let it breathe, and you dump it down the toilet. I don't know. I say uh, if it's a if it's a bubbly white wine, you you pour some at, pour like one part to ninety parts sparkling white wine, and uh, <laughs> then drink that. Or you just mix it with some absinthe, you know, a little death yes. in the afternoon. Mix a lot. <laughs> so uh, during the secondary fermentation and aging process, which takes three to six months, uh, the fermentation continues very slowly. Proteins from the grape are broken down, and the remaining yeast cells and other fine particles from the grapes are allowed to settle. Potassium bitrate. Wait, there's too many T's in that. My brain was bitartrate. like, bitartrate. No. Bitartrate. I was just gonna say bitartrate. I don't think that's right, but I just liked saying bitartrate. bitartrate. No, that's that's potassium bitartrate. That seems to be it. Will also precipitate a process which can be enhanced by cold stabilization to prevent the appearance of uh, tartrate crystals after bottling. Uh, they are right, harmless. You say stabilizing, and I'm just picturing like an emergency medical thing, like, <laughs> don't you die on me! <laughs> oh, live! 
Well, they are harmless, so uh, you're not going to get in a situation like that where you're you're pounding someone's chest dramatically. The result uh, of these processes is that the originally cloudy wine becomes clear. Secondary fermentation usually takes place in large stainless steel vessels with a volume of several cubic meters or oak barrels, depending on the goals of the winemakers. Unoaked wine is fermented in a barrel made of stainless steel or other material, having no influence in the final taste of the wine. It's because you don't taste it. You throw it away. <laughs> Pretty much. Depending on the desired taste, it could be fermented mainly in stainless steel or to be briefly put in oak or have the complete fermentation done in stainless steel. Oak could be added as chips used with a non-wooden barrel instead of a fully wooden barrel. This process, however, is mainly used in cheaper wine. Oh, yeah, putting, like, oak chips in. Yeah, I think I've, I've heard about that before, and I'm like, oh. Yeah, I've had like... I've had some beer with this treatment, and everyone was quite quite uh, disappointed in the outcome. Uh, so, so. <laughs> I have tartaric acid. Oh. <laughs> um, I, I went and bought all the all the little bottles at the local brewery store. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is. For home winemakers that couldn't get enough of this acid from the grape juice that they were buying to make wine, it has a uh, a candy like uh, a sour candy like flavor to it, um, similar to you know those white sticks that you would dip in the powder. Yeah, yeah. into the fun yeah. dip. That sour flavor is what I'm getting off of it from it, the stick, not the powder. From the powder. From oh, the, the powder. powder. Okay. The powder's sourness. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. So just straight flavored sugar. So essentially pixie sticks. Uh, minus, uh, minus the sugar. So there's no sugar there. It's just the yeah. acid portion of it. Ooh. But it's that sourness and that Ooh. that acid flavor that you get on the backside. Oh, yeah. my. That's <laughs> no thank so, you. I, literally, I bought all the acids. And so. Casey's dropping acid over there. No, he's I, got I bodies have, to get rid of. I still have citric acid, one of my favorites. Whenever you're trying to to kind of make something a little bit more uh, more acidic, my favorite. You know, when I was going through that phase where I wanted everything sour because my potassium was low. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, all this talk about acids. Uh... <laughs> Bob's got to pop some tums. Malik. So this one right here is what's in Warheads. Oh. Uh-huh. And nope. so that um, <laughs> that malic acid that I was talking about when it was converting, uh, that malic acid flavor is is very sharp, like the warhead flavor. But then you move it back, you get that that lactic acid. So a um, little bit I, more. I thought we were talking about the villain from Star Wars: The Old Republic. <laughs> Close. Close enough. Well, uh, malolactic fermentation occurs when lactic acid bacteria metabolize malic acid and produce lactic acid and carbon dioxide. This is carried out either as an intentional uh, procedure in which specially cultivated strains of such bacteria are introduced into the maturing wine, or it can happen by chance if uncultivated lactic acid bacteria are present. You know, sometimes, sometimes some things just kind of get in there. Life, life finds a way. Finds a way. <laughs> huh. 
Uh, <laughs> malolactic fermentation can improve the taste of wine that has high levels of malic acid because malic acid in higher concentration generally causes an unpleasant, harsh, and bitter taste sensation, whereas lactic acid is more gentle and less sour. The use of lactic acid bacteria is the reason why some Chardonnays can taste, quote, buttery due to the production of diacetyl by, by the bacteria. Most red wines go through complete malolactic fermentation, both to lessen the acid of the wine and to remove the possibility that malolactic fermentation will occur in the bottle. White wines vary in the use of malolactic fermentation during their making. Lighter aromatic wines, such as Riesling, generally don't go through malolactic fermentation. The fuller white wines, such as barrel-fermented Chardonnay, are more commonly put through this process. Sometimes a partial fermentation might be employed. Different batches of wine can be mixed before bottling in order to achieve the desired taste. The winemaker can correct perceived inadequacies by mixing wines from different grapes and batches that were produced under different conditions. These adjustments can be as simple as adjusting acid or tannin levels to as complex as blending different varieties or vintages to achieve a consistent taste. Oh, all right. Well, that's that's pretty complex sounding. So the most common preservative in winemaking is sulfur dioxide, or SO2, um, normally added in one of the following forms. So you've got liquid sulfur dioxide just by itself or as a salt, where you have sodium or potassium metabisulfite. Sulfur dioxide has two primary actions. So firstly, it's an antimicrobial agent, and secondly, it's an antioxidant. Hmm. So if added after alcoholic fermentation, it will have the effect of actually stopping that malolactic fermentation. It will also stop bacterial spoilage and help protect against the damaging effects of alcohol, of uh, oxygen at any time. But it stops the malolactic fermentation if you add it right after the primary alcoholic fermentation. Another useful preservative is uh, potassium sorbate. Potassium sorbate is effective in the control of fungal growth, including yeast, especially for sweet wines in the bottle. So this is the way I always like to think of it. The sulfur dioxide when combined in an environment where it's got the right acidity. Uh, you add those two things together, and it will actually kill off what's in there. If you add potassium sorbate, it doesn't kill it. It just keeps it from multiplying. So potassium sorbate, you put it in there. There may still be yeasts in there, but they can't grow. If, if it, What's in there can work, but it goes much slower because it can't multiply. It can't say, oh, okay, hey, there's a lot of sugar here. I need some buddies. It's just if there's three yeast cells in there, there's just going to be three yeast cells. <laughs> and so it's going to take them years before they get through all the sugar they need to. So it really slows that spoiling or aging process down. Um, some winemakers practice natural winemaking where no preservatives are added. Once the wine is bottled and, and corked, the bottles are then put into refrigeration with temperatures near 41 degrees Fahrenheit, and it has to be maintained at that or else it'll start um, spoiling. A final dose of sulfide, or that uh, sulfur, sulfur dioxide basically, um, is going to be added to pre help preserve the wine and prevent unwanted fermentation in the bottle. Um, the wine bottles are then traditionally sealed with a cork, although nowadays even higher-end wines are being... Um, sealed with synthetic corks and screw caps. Yeah. Um, 
it's less susceptible to cork taint. Um, we may see Opus One coming over and starting with uh, a, a three hundred dollar bottle wine with a screw cap here. Uh, so the final step is then adding that, the capsule. Sorry, back on the cap thing. That there's that uh, scene in the Muppet movie where Kermit and Miss Piggy are out on a date, and they get uh, like I forget what it is, but it's not it's you know a wine. But they they have to open it with a bottle opener, <laughs> and he's like, "Would you like to smell the cap?" <laughs> Steve Martin is playing the very snooty waiter who can't believe he has to deal with this. Oh, it's <laughs> it's amazing. I'm gonna look that up right now. <laughs> mm, Steve Martin. Uh, so with all this, you've got that cork on top. You want to keep your cork clean, and you want to keep it kind of. Um, Separate. So whenever you do open that bottle of wine, the top of the the glass of the, the of the bottle is still clean. So if it does have a cork, a synthetic or a natural cork, you will actually put a capsule on it. So it's just basically a heat shrink seal that keeps uh, keeps the top clean. So it's, right. a, it's a Jimmy hat for your wine. It's a Jimmy hat for your wine. <laughs> on that note, keep 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 your tip clean. Make sure you cover it. Practice, practice safe wine. Practice safe wine. Cork it before you. You know what? The rhyming part of that's got to stop. Brand, a brand new meaning to the phrase that the wine has been corked. So what are we drinking? <laughs> Drink with me, friend. Oh, dear. Uh, yeah. I'm having water right now. Unfortunately, but I'm going to be having bourbon because somebody's <gasps> got a pump soon. Yeah, because you you have a window between <laughs> when you're breastfeeding of of a time when you can actually drink alcohol. <laughs> so guess what? All I've been wanting for some reason is bourbon. I had uh, a little bit last night. Oh yeah, and we were sitting down to try and record last night, and she goes over and dumps like half the bottle it of is not double oak from Woodford. That's my favorite into bourbon. Into a glass, and she's like, I'm just getting a little drink over here. And it's like, a little drink. <laughs> it was like... A little, a little sippy. You have the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> it was like maybe half the Glen Karen. It's not a big deal. But, um... <laughs> it's, it's more fun our way. <laughs> but, yeah. It's so more that's... fun because the baby was, just as of right now, strapped to your chest, and you're drinking bourbon on the internet <laughs> with a child strapped to your body. <laughs> It's not like I'm you know. giving it to him. Jeez. I mean, you could. <laughs> Got to raise him right. Oh, yeah. <sighs> uh, all right. Well, uh, as I've mentioned, I've been traveling along this journey with from grape to vine. And uh, I started out, I tried to find Concord grapes. Uh, couldn't, not quite sure what kind of grapes I found. Uh, I was in a rush, so... Found dark, dark grapes. I was looking. Concord grape season, I think, is in September. The more I was looking, right. So, uh, but then I was drinking some Welsh's grape juice. <laughs> All right, uh, which is made from Concord grapes. Just made for Concord grapes. So I was trying to keep that theme going. Uh, but then I moved on to the main event: Cedar Creek Vineyards American Concord. A Kentucky, uh, Kentucky vineyard, and the back says 
located amidst the picturesque, picturesque rolling hills of southeastern Kentucky. And I'm like, oh. What? Picturesque. First you mean, off. You mean meth-filled. Somerset. Yeah, Somerset, yeah. not southeastern Kentucky. Let's go yeah. ahead and say that. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the description uh, that the website gives for the wine says, A fresh, light, and fruity sweet wine. Serve with aged cheese, dessert, or enjoy by itself. It's a Native American, uh, Native North American grape used by settlers to make preserves and wines. Uh, Concord is referred to as America's dessert wine. It's our sweetest wine variety. And I will say, don't ever go from grape juice straight to wine. <laughs> <laughs> it will seem like you've just drank vomit. <laughs> Whiplash. Yeah. Uh, that said... After I rinsed my mouth out with some water, I took another little sip. Still not quite my cup of tea, but if I have to choke down a wine, I can get through this one. Let's just go ahead and cover what a southeastern Kentucky wine would be like. It would be like draining a coal sludge pond into an oak barrel. And aging it. I would have said it's like uh, eating grapes while smoking. Oh, no, no. Okay, that's, that's, yeah, that's more accurate. (laughs) But this is not the worst thing I've had. Casey recommended Concord, and as far as red wines, this was, this was a bit more up my alley. Went for a little bit sweeter this time, so it's, I don't know how it stacks up to other ones. I'm not your wine guy for this, but... It was better for me than other ones I've had. Maybe there's a maybe there's a variant of this that tastes better. I don't know. What gets me on this one uh-huh. is I'm looking at Cedar Creek Vineyards website. Yes. They do not make a Chardonnay. They make a Chardonnay. Chardonnay? <laughs> Chardonnay. <laughs> so at first I was like, is this a knockoff Chardonnay? And it kind of is. It's a it's a hybrid between Chardonnay grapes and Saval grapes. Oh. Um, but I was just like, okay. But that's... it sounds like one of the Aldi beers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this, uh, uh, this was also the only Concord I could find when I went searching for wine. Uh, really? There may have been another one, but it was the only one I saw. So... Oh. So I don't. So everyone knows, like the most common sparkling white wine that's consumed is Asti or Osti or however you want to say it, is the even more knockoff version of that, just called Ass. <laughs> oh, all right. As seen on our bottle. <laughs> all right, Chris, what are you drinking? Oh well, uh, I I went a little off because we had a last second uh, delivery delivered straight from uh, the Bell's General Store in Michigan to my front door via via carrier. I am drinking. Everybody, get up! It's time to slam now. We got a real jam going down. Welcome to the Space Jam. Here's your chance. Do your dance at the Space Jam. All right. All right. Uh, because it's time to slam, uh, I am drinking Hop Slam from Bell's Brewery. <laughs> I don't know if it counts if you put the can in the glass like oh i drank it all already it was no it was cold i had to ask uh so it was uh jim who brought me 
all the way back down from Michigan before it's even distributed. Like right now, you can only get it out of the general store in Michigan. And it brought me a fresh can back that it was chilled. And I was like, oh, did you keep this in the cooler? He's like, no, it was in the trunk. He kept that cold Michigan air in the trunk and smuggled it with him. <laughs> so, yeah, um, that, that cold Great Lakes air kept it just perfect until it got here. So uh, I jumped ahead of everyone because it's not supposed to be until, like, I had to check the uh, distribution schedule, and it's, like, late next week before it's supposed to hit Kentucky. So uh, I'll enjoy my early cam, or my early can, uh, now, so it was Hop Slam from Bell's, Imperial IPA, 10% ABV. They don't list the IBUs because they're off the effing scales. Beer Advocate score 4.46 out of 5. The brewery's description, starting with six different hop varietals, added to the brew kettle and culminating with a massive dry hop edition of Simcoe Hops. Bell's Hop Slam Ale possesses the most complex hopping schedule in the Bell's repertoire. Selected specifically because of their aromatic qualities, these Pacific Northwest varietals uh, contribute a pungent blend of grapefruit, stone fruit, and floral notes. A generous malt bill and a solid dollop of honey provide just enough body to keep the balance in check, resulting in a remarkably drinkable rendition of the double IPA style. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to when that comes out. I'm going to need to need to pick that pick up some more some of that this this year. Well, on my side, um, I tried to drink a one. <laughs> I tried three so far. Um, number one was a canned wine. I've thrown away the can and I can't find them. But anyways, it was a sparkling Lambrusco that came in a can. Uh, yeah, I passed on that one. Uh, it it foamed out of the can like it was it was a gusher. Uh, oh, and it had been just on the desk for a while, so it, it kind of had a, a almost spoiled wine, maybe. That's probably uh, not a good sign. No, probably not. So then um, I tried to pick something up locally, and it's Sunday, which means uh, no yeah. places are open. So I eventually settled on a sangria, which I got halfway through, made with I think Sutter Home Chardonnay and grapefruit start- juice. That was at her home, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. I still have that one sitting here, oh, okay. and I think I want to save that to cook with because that's my. Those are my cooking ones. I think I'm just going to save it and just because I haven't finished finished the uh, the drink here. I've just been drinking lemonade from uh, Penn Station. <laughs> Fresh All right. So no, I think the the pre-show was still the interesting bit when Casey's going through all the wines he had acquired and going, "Nope, this is terrible. Nope, this is terrible. Garbage." Garbage. I should have stuck with beer. I think I have a noble rod around here somewhere, and I should have just grabbed that out. And, uh, yeah. That. All right. Well, so that's what we've been drinking. Uh, yeah, I think that pretty much does it for the show. All right, then. Well, you can subscribe and get some great resources at haveadrinkshow.com. Follow us at haveadrinkshow on social media and twitch.tv. You can tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or just leave some general feedback. Use the email address feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. You can also use the feedback page on the website, which is where you can buy shirts. We have yes. our new store that's open. Yes, uh, many great things on the store, which is up. And we were looking at some new designs earlier in the pre-show. Some fun things that might be coming down the pipeline. Just email us at that uh, feedback address for some fun designs that you might have in mind. And all joking and fun aside, I'd like to remind everyone to please drink responsibly. 
All right. Uh, you can check us out next Saturday for our next live episode. And remember to check out patreon.com slash have a drink show. Once again, I'm Christopher Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And I'm Casey Price. We'll see you next time. Bye, Bye. guys. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>